test. We're live. Are we on? We live? What's up, motorheads? Motorcycle fans? Bikeaholics? It's another episode of the Psycho Shack. It's cold out there, man. It's really cold. From all the way up here in the Hudson Valley, first off, I'm Ivan Rodriguez. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Psycho Shack podcast. Uh, the podcast radio show that talks about motorcycles and more. Not everything's about motorcycles. Usually it is, and I stray off the topic all the time because it is a general talk show. But thanks for joining me either way. Hopefully you like it. The Cycle Shack Podcast at gmail.com is a way to get a hold of the show. If you have any topics, comments, anything you want to talk about, send it on over. The Cycle Shack Podcast at gmail.com. And you can check us out on Facebook at The Cycle Shack Podcast. On the Facebook page, you got the link to the website and blog page, but you can also find this video. This video is also being recorded live right now. We're transmitting on Twitch.tv live, and after the show, it'll be presented on YouTube. That's right, YouTube. So we're opening up the message board here just to have it. Shut it down real quick. All right, so it's uh it's cold up in the Hudson Valley, man. So we dodged. I I'm hoping that we dodged a major snow 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 event because it snowed. It snowed about three inches. I want to say maybe three and a half inches, and then another half an inch of ice and sleet that came down on top of that. So uh, I, I was all over that. I went outside with the boys and I uh I took care of it just to make sure that it wouldn't get worse. But uh. Yeah, man, uh, I, you know, I'm always saying that the weather's full of it. They don't know what they're talking about, but I'm glad this time around they hyped up this storm to be something big. I'm glad, kind of glad they were wrong because I'm, I'm, I'm fed up. I'm tired of the snow already, man. I, uh, I don't know, man. I, I always think maybe I should be moving to a warmer climate. Uh, Florida? Nah. Everybody goes to Florida. Maybe out west? Arizona, New Mexico, Las Vegas. I don't like California. California is another, you know, if I go to California, I'm going to Southern California. That's going to be Los Angeles traffic. But anyway, we dodged another bullet, hopefully. And it snowed, don't get me wrong. It created a mess. It probably created some traffic, but it wasn't 9, 10 inches. Like we got dumped on the, the last snowstorm. So I'm thankful for that. But it's cold, man. My heat's cranking. Probably just heard it turned off in the background. And uh here in trusty old Animal House Studios, it's uh it's a freezing about sixty-eight degrees. <laughs> uh that's all right. It's keeping the equipment cool. So again, check out the show, the Cycle Shack. The email is the Cycle Shack Podcast at gmail.com. So again, thanks for joining me. And today we're gonna talk about a few different things. And uh It's that time of year again where we always think about ah, got to take the, the the bike out for service, you know, got to get it going. What kind of oil am I going to use? Am I going to switch if I'm using natural oil? Am I going to switch to synthetic? Am I going to go uh, stay with the natural oil, etc.? But first off, I want to say, 
The Cycle Shack is brought to you by Anchor.fm. Thank you to our sponsors, Anchor.fm. How, how are we going to begin a podcast without thanking our sponsors first? Bad Ivan. And again, you can also catch the podcast in its audio form on our host platform, Anchor.fm, or iTunes and a bunch of other platforms, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts. We're on all of those, on all the major ones. So check us out. Just search the Cycle Shack Podcast and listen away. So I, you say to yourself, all right, I got to service my bike. What am I going to go with? So a lot of people always think there's always been the great debate. Uh, you hear it all the time. Synthetic, no natural oil. Oh, my oil is better. And use AMS oil. Use this. Use uh, what's the name of that oil? Uh, I think AMS oil is one of the more popular ones. You got Redline, uh, the Harley Davidson Sin Three for for the Harleys, and you know I. It's like somebody told me once, different strokes for different folks. It's all good. Whatever you want to spend your money on, I guess it's good, man. As long as you change your oil frequently, that's what counts. That's what's the best for your bike. You know what I mean? Dirty oil is dirty oil. I don't care what you say. Should you use synthetic? Why not? Why not? If you're going to change it frequently, you know, you got to change it every five, 6,000 miles anyway. Some of them say 9,000. But you still got to change your oil. So whether you go synthetic or natural blend, it, 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 you know, the preference is really yours. Just change it frequently. Monitor the oil. So, again, there's always that debate. So I got a little blog that I'm reading. It's courtesy of jpcycles.com. Of course, I clicked the link on my notes here, on my electronic notes, and it did not go to jpcycles.com. Ah, finally. I'm always having difficulty with my gadgets. So, the great oil debate, synthetic or conventional. This is by jpcycles.com, Lowell Anderson. This is an eight-year-old article because, believe you me, the, the, the arguments are always the same. And um, it goes on to say, there's been an ongoing debate for decades over what oil is best for your machine. And my thinking tells me there's no standard answer to that question. That's because there are too many variables, and he's right. The climate you live in, the amount of time you spend on the road, the type of bike you ride. A lot of folks will tell you that synthetic is the way to go, but that's not always the case. Where you live is an important consideration for your choice of oil because of climate considerations and oil flow rates. And synthetic oil definitely holds an advantage in the cold weather department. High viscosity conventional oils simply don't flow in cold temperatures. And that's true, folks. Right now, in the uh, northwest, I always say northeast. That's another thing. I always have a bad habit of saying northeast. I live in the northwest side of upstate New York. I used to live in the northeast Bronx. I'm, from, I'm originally from New York City, but I moved about an hour and a half out in a suburb of the city up north, Orange County. And I'm in the northwest. But even up in the northwest, I mean, shoot, this winter we had negative temperatures, right? It felt like zero degrees out. 
Not that anybody's going to be riding on that, but for whatever reason, let's say if you wanted to ride in 32 degrees, there's some people that do it. It's just above the crest of freezing. You know, some some guys do do it, and when they fire, when you fire up your bike, you want that oil to circulate quick. If you have conventional oil, it's going to have a tough time. It's going to be all, you know, it's going to be like honey consistency. You want something that's got a good flow rate. Uh, synthetic will do that for you. If you don't plan on riding in those cold climate temperatures, then maybe synthetic is not the way to go for you. But again, it all depends on the ambient temperature, um, your surroundings, your climate, what state you live in, etc. Um, even low-weight conventional oil stop flowing at around 34 degrees Fahrenheit. So there you have it. Synthetic oil will flow at minus 50 degrees. Now, if you go to YouTube, you, you do... Uh, and again, this is by no way, shape, or form. I'm not condoning uh, uh, the Mobile One motorcycle. Mobile One motorcycle oil happens to be a decent oil. I've used it myself. Do I recommend it? I think I would because, again, I've used the product myself in two of the bikes that I've owned previous to my Harley. Uh, I don't see a reason why I wouldn't use it for my Harley, but I'll get to that in a minute. I just don't. Uh, I've used the Mobile One motorcycle, uh, the synthetic, full synthetic. And if you go to YouTube, you look at the testing that they do compared to like Amsoil synthetic. Mobile One came in at the best. And what they did was they put it in sub-zero temperatures. They put this thing in a sub-zero freezer for about 24 hours. And then they just did a pour test. And you see which synthetic oil passes that pore test at negative temperatures. It's an awesome thing to watch. Check it out on YouTube. But, uh, again, it's not so much the Mobile One. Any any synthetic oil, you can you can check it out and, and see how cold is the, you know, how cold can it get before it doesn't flow right. And, um, uh, serious advantage. Synthetic oil will flow at minus fifty degrees Fahrenheit. A serious advantage if you live in a cold climate. Almost all of the wear in your engine occurs during startup. That's true. If you live in a cold climate and you fire up your bike from time to time during the winter months, which you should not do, by the way, I'll explain that. Uh, you could be doing some serious damage to your engine. Synthetic oils perform well in high temperatures. Some synthetic oils can offer protection at temperatures of up to 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Conventional oil tends to fail at around 270 degrees, although this is seldom an issue because bikes normally run under the 270 degree mark. But if you have a bike that runs low oil pressure and could touch the 270 mark on occasion, you should definitely consider using synthetic oil. The type of bike... You ride is also a major consideration when choosing oil. For instance, if you ride a motorcycle that uses the same oil for the clutch as it does for the engine, conventional oil is the way to go. That's because synthetic oils are too slippery, for lack of a better word. This can cause a major problem with the clutch because the clutch needs some friction in order to work properly. Well, here's the thing. I can go on to read the million and one pieces of this article that it has the bottom line is again different strokes with different folks but know what you're putting in your engine i will say that in harley in harley's i've used mobile one synthetic 
motorcycle oil. And it's not that I didn't get good performance. I got good performance, but I just stopped using it. Um, why? Because it was it was getting costly, and it wasn't an affordability factor. I was changing my oil just as frequently with synthetic as I was with conventional. So if I'm pissing away that much oil, I mean, again, that's just me. I'm an old school guy in the sense of if the oil looks dirty, it is dirty, so I'm changing it. I wouldn't go past 5,000 miles. I ride an average of about anywhere from 10 to 14,000 miles a season, okay? I'll climb into the 15,000-mile range. I've never done 16, not yet. Um, But 5,000 miles is decent for an oil change, okay, which is usually mid-season for me. So if I'm pissing away all this money, okay, five quarts of oil, four quarts of oil, Okay, at about 10 to 12 bucks a quart. That's maybe over $60 in oil. When I can get the conventional oil for six bucks, the regular Harley conventional oil, I'm using it for five. You could use it for 5,000 miles. It's okay. The oil doesn't look any more dirtier than what I had with the synthetic. And I'm changing it anyway. The oil's going to be fresh. So. It's a significant difference in price. Could I continue using the synthetic? Absolutely. But why would I? I could use those buck, those pennies for something else. Um, same thing with the primary, same thing with the uh, with the gear oil. Uh, I will say that I'll probably run natural oil. I have all natural blend oils in my bike, in my Harley today, in my Ultra Limited. I might stay with natural conventional oil for the engine uh for the primary i may use a synthetic only because i want to keep the the primary chain tensioner there's a little plastic uh pad on the chain tensioner of the harley okay that you want to keep pretty well lubricated to minimize the wear on it so a synthetic blend primary oil Will maybe help that? I'm guessing. Again, it's not something that I'm recommending. Again, do what you want at your own risk. I'm only telling you what has worked for me. And that's what I'm thinking of doing. Going with a synthetic for the primary drive. Just to keep the slickness on that pad that goes on the the automatic chain tensor. Okay? Um, those of you that have heard about the old twin cam 88 primary drive, uh, chain tensioner going bad, uh, because it's spring loaded instead of hydraulic loaded, that pad wears away. That pad is almost like a plasticky type pad, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it wears down. I, I just say synthetic would probably help it, uh, for my transmission, I'm going to stick to the Harley transmission fluid. I might upgrade uh, that to the uh, gear oil because that's what transmission fluid is. It's gear oil. I might go with the synthetic. Um, What is the name for this oil that I had? Lucas oil. Makes a pretty decent uh, gear oil. I might just go with that. I got great results with that on my uh, my 08. 
I had an 08 Ultra, uh, Ultra Glide Anniversary Edition, and that's what I did. Um, what I noticed that didn't work for me was using synthetic on my engine. Uh, the engine was a lot noisier with the synthetic oil, not that it was doing any damage, but it was a little bit clunkier, a little bit noisier. So I swapped it back to conventional oil and it quieted it down a little bit. Uh, again, different strokes with different folks. Was it doing any damage? Maybe not. I just found the engine to be a lot noisier. So, again, when it comes to oil, the great debate, synthetic versus uh, 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 conventional oils, natural oils, or the dyno oils, they, as they call them, that's all up to you, man. It really is. It's it's what's your budget? What does your budget allow? When you get into these all these crazy oils like AMS oil, AMS oils, it's a great oil. It's a fantastic oil. I personally don't use it only because I don't see myself wasting the money on it. If I do change the oil that frequency, a lot of guys may say, well, if you love your bike, you're only going to give it the best. I don't know that AMS oil is the best. I you know, I don't know. I don't know that. I know guys that have gotten the same results with the Mobile One that you could buy at any Walmart. Uh, but again, different strokes with different folks. I'm not advocating any particular brand at all. I'm just sharing with you what worked for me. So please, again, use at your own risk. Obviously, read your motorcycle manufacturer's recommendations, which they're going to tell you to use Harley blends if you use Harley. Here's one thing that I will say, and I know this for a fact, and you can read your manual. If you have a metric cruiser, the politically correct term is metric cruiser. I normally say Jap bike. I say Jap bikes, Japanese made, manufactured, etc. It's an old term. Sorry. Metric Cruiser, Yamaha, Honda. I've actually done this on my Suzuki and my Yamaha V-Star, okay? I had a Suzuki 1500 Intruder. I had a Yamaha V-Star. And on both bikes, you know, one oil does it all. It's not like Harley where you have the blend of three oils, gear oil, primary oil, and, and engine oil. You know, on those bikes, one oil does it all. It does engine, it, it, the whole shebang five quarts and i went from using i stopped spending money on the big time synthetic oil now motorcycle oil is tricky because you can't use regular car motor oil you can't dump motor oil from a standard car in your motorcycle engine why your motorcycle engine has a wet clutch system there are extra chemicals in conventional car motor oil that will cause those plates, those discs, to slip excessively and will not let you shift into gear properly. This is a fact. I've seen guys do it all the time where they buy Castrol GTX at the gas station because they're low on oil or they buy uh, Wolf's Head. Oh, man, stay away from that stuff in your motorcycle. I can't say it'll do something to your car, but Wolf's Head Oil. A, a guy shoved it in. His bike was skipping gears left and right. He had to dump the oil. Dump the oil, change it, bike worked like a dream. There are, uh, uh, those additives are taken away from motorcycle oil. Uh, those plates have to stick, okay? By adding conventional automobile oil, it will, it will, it will not let your bike shift properly, so please stay away from doing that. The one thing you can do 
And the reason being is that this motor oil does not have those chemicals that will cause your clutch to, 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 to slip. You can use diesel engine oil on your metric cruiser, including Victory Motorcycles, an American manufacturer. I don't know about Indian. Even Harley-Davidson, read your manual. It says something about if you really had to in a jam, you can use diesel fuel oil. Diesel engine oil, I'm sorry. Diesel engine oil will get you by. Now, for the metric cruisers, you can buy the, uh, man, man, oh, man. I got the name right in the top of my head. It's a famous diesel engine oil you can buy at Walmart. It's blue. Diesel engine oil. Uh, man, I drew a blank. But anyway, if you read your metric bike manual, it will say that as long as the oil meets JSO, I think it's JSO ME, JSO CI. G-A-S-O, Japanese Automotive Society of whatever the hell. If it meets that JSO standard, you can use it. Um, so, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get the name for this oil. I've had it posted on the site before, and I'm trying to find it again just to share the name with you because I'm drawing a blank. But anyway... It's okay for the used for you to use that. I'm trying to get all the it's a it's a very famous oil too, man. Rotella. Rotella diesel engine oil. Yes. Some people are saying, no way, why would I do that? Do your research. I got it here. Rotella. T6 synthetic, 5W40. You can use that on your Yamaha, your Suzuki, your Honda. Read your manual, and I'll guarantee you, you'll get better results with this than any oil you're using. Number one, it's synthetic. But for synthetic, it's the cost. It's not expensive. For a one-gallon container of the Rotella T6, I don't know if you can see this on the camera. This freaking light is too bright, man too too bright there we go rotella t6 okay 5w40 one gallon of this stuff costs i think 21.99 22.99 in walmart i and i posted this up one time and i, I had a smart ass on a, on a one of those bike messenger boards turn around and say yeah dude why would i put walmart brand oil in my bike it works trust me it works again i'm only telling you what I've done, and you can research it. It is a fact. I did it to my bikes, and I transitioned. When I had my metric cruisers, that's all I ran in my metric cruisers, and the bikes performed flawlessly. Got excellent results, excellent gas mileage. The bike, the bike behaved beautifully, shifted beautifully with that oil, better than the oil that I was using from the manufacturer at the time. So I highly recommend it. And again, check your Harley manual because your Harley-Davidson manual does say for your big twin engines in a jam, if you needed oil, you can use diesel engine oil 
until you can get to your Harley-Davidson dealership and change to an approved Harley-Davidson oil. I'll guarantee it. Check your manual. Don't believe me. But again, you decide. So there you have it, the great oil debate in a nutshell. Do what you want. It's up to you. It's all on what you're paying for. Harley-Davidson. On this next thing, you know, there's a lot of negativity going on in the Harley web forums. A lot of negativity going on in the press that you read about Harley with the recoils and their stocks going bad. And you know what? I don't mean to report anything negative or bad like that on purpose. I love the brand, as you can see. I, I sport everything Harley-Davidson. I want my brand to do well, but facts are facts. You know what I mean? And you got to report it as it is. You got to kind of be impartial when it comes to stuff like that. Really? Yeah. Really. You know, even though I love the brand, you got to call it like you see it. And they're not doing too well. But they're doing everything they can to try to change that. And one of the things they're doing is they're setting up an apprenticeship program where they're trying to get new mechanics. They're trying to get new minds out there. They're trying to get more skilled trades professionals involved in the business. And you can check this out on HarleyDavidson.com. Skilled trades and apprenticeship programs. Skilled trades at Harley-Davidson. Looking for a chance for a challenge and a rewarding job. Every day is something new for skilled trade workers at Harley-Davidson. Maintenance mechanics, maintenance electricians, and tool makers support the production operation by responding immediately to breakdowns and performing preventative maintenance to minimize equipment downtime. These highly technical job skills require, well, I'm sorry, these highly technical jobs require excellent troubleshooting skills. You'll never stop learning at our fast-paced manufacturing facilities with state-of-the-art machining equipment and robotics. Don't have your journeyman card yet? Our apprenticeship programs are Wisconsin-registered apprenticeships and are designed to provide real-world, hands-on experience while also providing classroom learning through local technical college. Participants build a diverse and technical skill uh, diverse technical skills while completing required training and related coursework in order to receive their journeyman card. Harley Davidson will cover the cost of tuition and books for all related apprenticeship coursework. Our apprenticeship programs focus on key fields where Harley Davidson is looking for talent. Each one is used as a feeder for our journeyman skill trades workforce in the same field. We currently offer apprenticeship positions for maintenance mechanic and machine repair, maintenance tool maker, tool and die, maintenance electricians and industrial electrician. So check it out. Harley Davidson offering career paths. Go to HarleyDavidson.com, Harley-Davidson.com, that is, and check out their skill trades and apprenticeship programs page. So that's one way they're doing. You know, they're they're looking to reach out. I read a couple of articles that they're looking for. There are a lot of positions in the the VP of uh, they're hiring for uh, a new VP of uh, uh, research and development. They're looking to do better. How late is it in the game for them? We don't know. We'll find out. But again, I hope my brand hope my brand does better. Got to call it as you see it, though. Harley Davidson should they be in the business of making pickup trucks? I got a little article here that I saw that kind of caught my eye. I just decided to share it. That's what I do. It's by uh, Barons.com by Darren Fonda. 
And this was uploaded to Barons.com on February 7th. You could read along with me and check it out. That's Barons.com. The article again updated by Darren Fonda. And it goes on to say, Harley Davidson should build pickup trucks, not electric motorcycles. I might be in agreement with that. They should stay away from the electric motorcycle uh, game. Harley Davidson, hog, troubles run so deep that it should start making pickup trucks or SUVs. Either that or Harley could make a good addition to an automaker like Ford. Yeah, I kind of remember Ford coming out with a Harley Davidson edition pickup truck back in the early 2000s. Seen them all over. I still see them on the road. Morgan Stanley analyst Adam Jones floated the idea of Harley Davidson getting into SUV and pickup truck businesses in a note out Wednesday. The heavy duty motorcycle segment is in secular decline. He notes, and Harley Davidson's strongest. He notes, and Harley-Davidson, the strongest brand in the space, is taking the brunt of the hit with sales that have been falling for years. Ain't that the truth? Harley-Davidson sales have been slumping for a long time. That's no secret. Harley plans to launch an electric bike later this year, aiming to capture more eco-friendly and younger customers. Barron's has been skeptical of that initiative. And it doesn't look positive either. So, yet Harley has tremendous brand equity that extends to everything from leather jackets to women's jewelry. Harley could start manufacturing its own SUV and pickup trucks. Admittingly, a huge capital incentive undertaking. Alternatively, it could put itself up for sale to an automaker like Ford. Ford already sells Harley-Davidson trim packages on its F-150. I told you. And Super Duty pickups. Harley would make a powerful addition for Ford, and which is reviving its retro Bronco brand. So, I don't know. This guy's saying Harley should get into the pickup truck business. I, while I don't think they should succumb to selling themselves to Ford, I think they can hold their own. I think they should look into making their own Harley Davidson automobiles. I think that would be cool. What would you do? What else? Pickup trucks. Guy vehicles. Or fem- feminine, you know. Women vehicles, women drive pickup trucks too. Sorry. But I don't think they should sell out and sell themselves to a Chevy or Ford. No way. They could do it themselves. They should do it themselves. That's all I got on Harleys this week. I got one more thing. It's about a Harley, but it's not on Harley Davidson, the company itself. So again, I'm sorry if it seems like I'm bashing Harley. I don't bash them. I like them. Calling it as I see it. I got a little uh, thing here from Facebook. I'm a fan of Appalachian Harley Davidson, which is located, uh, I believe, somewhere in West Virginia. And they had this little clip with pictures, and it shows a guy and his uh, ultra classic, his bagger, 
with his odometer reading, a picture of his odometer reading, and a picture of him with the mechanic in front of Appalachian Harley-Davidson. And it goes on to say, and I'm going to have this on the show notes. Whether the show notes or not will accept this photograph and everything, I don't know. But I'm going to post it up and you'll see it. I'm also going to throw it up on the blog page uh, in a couple of days. The show is going to appear on Twitch.tv live right now. And you continue to watch the reruns on Twitch.tv. Shortly after, after the show, about an hour after the show, the show will appear on YouTube. And uh, in a couple of days, I normally upload the show up on the blog page on the website. So check it out. With the show notes, by the way. So this is from Appalachia Harley-Davidson service team. On their Facebook page, it says 498,619 miles. Ken's 2005 came in today for real wheel bearings. Henry had to do a double take on the mileage to verify. Seth got back on the road as much as we would like to have him stick around a while longer. I'm assuming the owner's name is Seth. And by 2005, he had a 2005, what looks to be a a 2005 Ultra Classic or an Ultra Limited. I don't know. It looks like an Ultra Classic. It says here, we did have to ask. The top end was done at 375,000 miles. I mean, the fact that the bike went 375,000 miles and he still has it on the road is amazing. It was still holding on at 160 PSI in both cylinders. That's amazing. Hybrid uh, cam plate upgrade was done at 160,000 miles. The rest had just been regular maintenance and the open road. Imagine the stories that almost 500,000 miles can bring. We're lucky to hear of a few of them today. Keep that odometer climbing, and we look forward to seeing you again with more miles of experiences to share. Thank you, Ken, for your support and dedication to the brand, the team at Appalachian Harley-Davidson. Now, check this out. The actual odometer reading on this guy's bike is 498,619 miles. That is amazing on a 2005. That's a 14-year-old bike. This guy put a lot of miles on this bad boy. And it's nice to see that. So there's a positive thing with Harley-Davidson. It's not that old of a bike. 2005, that's the year that they started going, well, you had a choice of going fuel-injected. If I'm not mistaken, this bike might be fuel-injected. I don't know. 2005 was the crossover year for Harley where all the bikes were were still not uh, fuel-injected. They were still using carburetor. So, cool story to know. Cool story to tell. I just figured I'd share that because, again, it was was an eye-opener for me. So, I got here from uh, MotorcycleCruiser.com. Some tips on how to prevent uh, my phone's ringing. Embarrassing. My watch picked it up because my phone's on silent. Sorry. Motorcyclecruiser.com. This was printed January 16th by Carlos Centilia. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Top tips for preventing motorcycle theft. A little extra attention now will help secure your two-wheel pride and joy from would-be thieves. Now, I don't know that there's a whole much, a lot that you can do from getting your 
bike, to keep your bike from being stolen. On the road, if someone wants it, they're going to take it when it's parked in a parking lot. You hope for the best, but again, when it comes to bikes, a lot of people respect. Some people don't. If you feel your motorcycle is more vulnerable to prying hands other than vehicles, it's probably because there's no physical layer over the engine and the ignition for would-be thieves to surmount. Your precious two-wheeler is just sitting there like an open invitation. Frankly, it's a lower risk, higher reward target than a car. And you northerners, take note. The motorcycle parts market is especially lucrative in colder weather climates where shorter riding seasons feeds the stolen parts trade, according to the National Insurance Crime Bureau. But there are dozens of ways to better lower the odds of your motorcycle being stolen. No single one is completely foolproof, but if you follow these strategies, you stand a better chance of ensuring your ignition key doesn't get lonely. It's a little paranoia. Turns out, goes a long way. I'm starting to get a cold. That's what sucks. Getting congested. It's horrible. We've spoken with the pros in the security field on the Motorcycle Safety Foundation, lock company reps, and the folks at Cycle Trader to glean their advice. If it sounds similar, that's because much of it is common sense. So take heed. The nine tips we're about to get, we're about to tell you, will get you started on your resolution of stopping bike thieves cold in their tracks. Keep it covered, the phrase, out of sight, out of mind. That's self-explanatory. Need I say more? Add a security alarm. An alarm alone won't do the trick, but it can deter thieves. Lock your ignition and remove the key. You don't know how many times I've seen people forget their key in the ignition of their bike. That sucks. That really sucks. What sucks is I can't get this mic in a good position here that doesn't uh, have me overmodulating here. So that's horrible. It really is. Also, with Harleys, a lot of guys get comfortable. My bike, I don't need to keep a key. I don't need to put a key in the ignition. I have a key fob. I keep that key fob in my pocket. The actual ignition is undone. If I have to lock it, I have to put the steering wheel lock on it. I have to turn, you know, I say steering wheel, the handlebar lock. Turn the handlebar and lock it, push it in, take the key out. It's locked. But a lot of guys don't do that, including myself. I'm a victim of that. But you really should. So, Because a lot of guys get comfortable with the key fob. You walk away from the bike, the bike will never start because it doesn't have the key fob. Um, bolt your bike to a stationary object. Securing the motorcycle to an immovable object will instantly make, le- make it less vulnerable. Locks like kryptonite, New York's forget-about-it chain. Thieves won't, li- uh, thieves won't likely want to spend the time cutting through uh, the chains to get your bike. It has to be quick, fast, and easy for them. The next, invest in a stout disc lock. I've seen people put padlocks on their disc, their, their brake disc, in New York City. I used to be a bike messenger in Manhattan, a bicycle, pedal bicycle messenger uh, when I was young. And, uh, yeah, that's what I used to see guys do. They used to ride their motorcycles, their trendy little triumphs, 
down Manhattan, and they used to just pull them off, put them up on the sidewalk. They'd put a chain around the, the back wheel to the parking meter, and then on the front, they'd put a padlock. You know, they, they, there's holes on the disc. They'd take one of the holes, pop a padlock on it. Crazy. Regular master padlock. Um, use Big Brother. A good idea to park in plain sight of a CCTV camera if possible. That's true. Usually when you stop at a hotel, Holiday Inn or whatever the case may be, the Hampton Inn or Comfort Inn Suites, if you park near the entrance, they usually have a parking lot camera facing at all the vehicles. And and the good thing is is that more than likely you'll get a, a, a room with a view of the bike. So if your bike has a noisemaker on it, you'll hear it. Get a GPS tracker. That's always good. They're cheap. They come very tiny. You can keep them in the lining of, of somewhere in the bike, put it somewhere hidden on the bike, and you can track it via cell phone. I've seen it all the time. So app, they have apps for these little GPS trackers. You can buy these little GPS trackers on Amazon. It's amazing. Uh, they come like two in a pack. Download an app for free, and away it goes. And the GPS trackers are, are cheap. You get a two-pack for like 40 50 bucks. Park defensively. When in a garage or even in the street, try to block your motorcycle with a car or another physical barrier. At least at least on one side. That simple step alone will make it harder for thieves to, you know, get an easy score. Secure your paperwork. Keep all your papers, registration, insurance card, etc. on you rather than on the bike. So, I don't know how that helps prevent bike from being stolen but you definitely don't want to leave it in the bike so when it gets stolen they have that information so good thing keep it on you i I keep everything on me i don't leave any of that stuff in the bike no way i know people that keep it in the bike all year round in a little pocket in the bike like in the trunk i don't do that i take it out with me i have a fanny pack that i access my secret is i have a fanny pack yeah i know it's not the 80s anymore have a nice stylish one in camo, you know, that holds two water bottles. But I use that to put my wallet, uh, an extra cell phone charger, anything that I would need on the go. So when I go riding on my bike, my wallet's in there, the paperwork to my bike, my phone, my charger, everything is on there. I grab the fanny pack, put it on my waist, I walk away from the bike, everything's on me. I lock the bike up, obviously. When I get back to the bike, I throw the fanny pack in the trunk, lock the trunk, get on the bike, I go. That way I don't have a lot of junk in my pockets that would be bothering me, interfering me. I have a phone holder, so I'll probably put the cell phone on the phone holder if it's not raining, uh, listen to some tunes. But the, the phone is Bluetooth, so I can have it in the trunk, and it'll still sync up with the bike for tunes, etc. So, again, some quick tips to help keep your bike safe wherever you go. Season three is now Ride with Norman Reedus. Reedus. <laughs> Ride with Norman Reedus. Season three is back. You know who he is. Daryl from The Walking Dead. Well, season three of his show Ride with Norman Reedus is back. And it aired right after the second half of The uh, Walking Dead this past Sunday. By the way, did I mention today's Tuesday, February 12th, 2019? No, I didn't. 
So, my notes are taking forever to load, of course. Ride with Norman Reedus follows actor and motorcycle enthusiast Reedus as he takes viewers on a ride on the open road to explore local biker culture and its history. So he also takes uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Stephen Yoon, Melissa McBride, Austin Emilio, Sean Patrick Flannery, Marilyn Manson, on rides. There's going to be a six-episode season. Um, I love watching this thing. It's awesome. Uh, I like anything motorcycle. Unfortunately, they don't ride Harleys. They ride like Triumphs and stuff like that, adventure bikes, etc. So uh, it's okay. I like watching it. It's cold out. I can't ride. So I can watch somebody ride on TV. No biggie. So check it out. That's Ride with Norman Reedus Season 3. Last thing I got for you guys tonight is football fans. I don't know about you, but I stopped watching the NFL years ago. The game just started to suck with all these rules that they put in play, all the penalties and flags that they're throwing nowadays. I'm an ex-football player. I played Sandlot football. I played football well into my 20s, and I was into die-hard, skull-crushing, you name it. I did it. To watch the NFL from what it used to be to what it is today with all the rules and regulations and, again, the flags they throw, the penalties, it just gets hard to watch. I got disinterested in the NFL. I'd watch it on Super Bowl, and it would remind me of how sick I was of watching the game. But now the NFL has, I wouldn't say a mining minor league, mining, I wouldn't say it's a minor league to the NFL because it's not minor. It's pro football, but it's more like their development teams. And it's a football league, a professional football league. It's the American, I'm sorry, the Alliance of American Football, the AAF. And I'm assuming they wanted to use the letters AFL, American Football League or whatever, Alliance Football League. But those letters are taken by the Arena Football League. Now, they are in no competition with any football right now. They don't air during NFL. It's actually again a a it's not it's a it's a development of the NFL. It gives college athletes a place to go to play professional football to develop into the NFL player they have to be. I've always agreed with this. I agree with this concept, and I've always wished for this, okay? Growing up watching football and playing football throughout my teen years and and as a young man, I've always seen that from college to NFL, that's a big step. I mean, the hits are a lot harder. It's a, 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 a fast pace. You may think college is fast, but NFL's fast pace. The hits are way harder. So there was no buffer in between. You went from one extreme to the next, and a lot of guys were unsuccessful in the NFL after college, um, especially as the years progressed. So to have this buffer, this in-between, this development league that's still in the professional ranks, it's still professional football, but it's an in-between from college to the NFL. So these guys are all hoping one day 
to get that phone call and say, hey, send them up. We want them. But this is professional football, and again, it's the Alliance of American Football. Season one kicked off this past weekend. I think game one was on the 9th, Friday, if I remember correctly. And the week one results. First off, before I give you the results, let me tell you a little bit about the league and uh, the teams that are in this league. It's only got eight teams. There's a Western Conference and an Eastern Conference. You can check this out on uh, Wikipedia. You can also check their page out. It's the Alliance of American Football, AAF. A professional football uh, is a professional American football league founded by Charlie Ebersole and Bill Polian. I hope I pronounced that correctly. It opened play on February 9th, week one, after the National Football League Super Bowl championship game. The AAF consists of eight centrally owned and operated teams, all teams except Salt Lake. I just hit something. All teams except Salt Lake are located in cities on or south of the 35th parallel, and all teams except Birmingham are located in the metropolitan areas that have at least one major professional sports franchise. One of eight teams in the league Oh, of the eight teams in the league, I'm sorry. All but Arizona and Atlanta are located in markets markets lacking an NFL team. The teams are as follows. Atlanta, Georgia now hosts the Atlanta Legends, Georgia State Stadium. The Birmingham Iron, Birmingham, Alabama. Legion Field. For Memphis, Tennessee, you got the Memphis Express. Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium is their home field. Orlando, Florida is now home to the Orlando Apollos at the Spectrum Stadium. Tempe, Arizona now has the Arizona Hot Shots at Sun Devil Stadium. The Salt Lake Stallions, Salt Lake City, Utah, Rice Stadium. The uh, San Antonio, Texas, now home for the San Antonio Commanders at the Alamo Dome. And the final team, the San Diego Fleet in San Diego, California at the SDCCU Stadium. Those are the eight teams in the uh, AAF, Alliance of American Football. And uh, I got the week one results. Let me tell you. Let's go over the week one results. The San Diego Fleet lost. To the San Antonio Commanders, 15-6. The Atlanta Legends lost to the Orlando Apollos, 40-6. That was a crazy game. Uh, The Birmingham Iron defeated in a shutout the Memphis Express. Donut, 26-zip. The Arizona Hot Shots defeated the Salt Lake Stallions, 38-22. So all eight teams got to play. I got to watch all eight games, at least the 10-minute highlights of the games. Uh, I watched two games in their entirety, in their entirety, which was the San Diego Fleet against the San Antonio Commanders, the Atlanta Legends versus the Orlando Apollos. I saw these games last night. Awesome, awesome football. Some of the best football I've seen in a long time. 
I loved watching it. Hard hitting. The only nonsense that pisses me off is because it's the collegiate stuff that goes along. You know, when when these guys uh, fumble a ball, not so much fumble a ball, but intercept a ball and falls, they're all huddling on the ball and they're peeling away and they're just you know fumbling around, grabbing, and you got to peel them away in layers. That's college crap. You don't see that in the NFL too much. Um, so you, you you got a little bit of that to deal with, you know, the college nonsense. But for the most part, hard hitting, hard hitting football. Um, these guys are athletes, man. A lot of the jump ups, interceptions, these these passes. Oh man, 40, 50, 60 yard passes, thumping them. Awesome football. So check it out. The Alliance of American Football. Great football to watch. The only thing is they're not competing with the NFL. It's it's after. It's post-NFL season football. It's professional football. And it still has something to do with the NFL. It's their development teams. Now, check this out. They will have a competitor soon. And it won't be the NFL. It will be the XFL, which is owned by Vince McMahon of WWE Wrestling. That's coming out in January of 2020. That will be their direct competition. So that remains to be seen. Again, January of 2020, Vince McMahon is coming out with the XFL. Let's hope that's not a fluke. I loved it when it first came out. It came out a long time ago. Um, It was great football, but for some reason it didn't last. I liked it. I enjoyed watching it, and um, I hope it's successful. I hope they could do some kind of uh, intermingling where you can have the XFL versus the the AAF in a game of some sort. That would be cool to see, you know. But, again, who knows? We'll see. That's all I got for you today. Hey, wow, a whopping 50-minute show, 54 minutes. That ain't bad for the kid. Check us out at the Cycle Shack Podcast at gmail.com. Whoa. Email the show, the Cycle Shack Podcast at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook at the Cycle Shack Podcast. On the Facebook page, you can click the link to the website, which will also bring you to my blog page. I give you stories from time to time, or I'll put a video of this show on the blog page. You can catch it there in a couple of days. You can check us out on YouTube. Check us out on twitch.tv where we are live right now. And you can also listen to us on the host platform, Anchor.fm, our sponsors. Thank you very much, Anchor.fm, for sponsoring the show. You heard the commercial prior to this airing. If you listen to it on iTunes or Anchor.fm, we're also available on iTunes. If you do listen to it on iTunes, give me a review. Tell me what you think about the show. Or check us out at the Cycle Shack Podcast at gmail.com, as you see here below. Tell me what you think of the show. I got thick skin, people. Don't worry about it. Give me some comments. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for watching. It's another episode down at the Cycle Shack. I'm Ivan Rodriguez. Thanks for listening. It's almost time to go riding. We got 36 days left till the spring. I can't wait. Thanks for watching, folks, and listening. We'll see you soon.